2: Rams Nation. What's happening? What's good? It's your boy Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Lockdown Rams. Tuesday edition of Lockdown Rams. We've got a bunch to talk to as a bunch is going on right now, not only in the NFL, but across the whole landscape of sports. And that's what the Lockdown Podcast Network is so great about. You can hear about all this stuff. All over the place, Uh, we saw an amazing celebration of Kobe Bryant's life Monday, 224, the memorial here in the Staples Center. You can go listen to more on that on Locked On Lakers for a full recap. Also, in the world, baseball. Spring training is back, so maybe head over to Locked On Dodgers or maybe even Locked On Astros if you want to hear their thoughts on everything But as far as the NFL, the NFL combine has started. Some players are showing up. They're starting to do some measurables. We're going to get into some of that a little bit later here in the show. We're also going to talk about the franchise tag, the transition tag, what they're doing with that, how the CBA that is now still up in the air, waiting the players to agree upon everything, and how that is going to come into uh, the schedule of things and how that might shake up what the Rams might do. We're also going to look at some of the, talk that's out there about what the Rams will do for that franchise tag. Is it smart to go tag somebody or not? We're also going to listen in to our new defensive and offensive coordinators. JB Long, the voice of the Rams, sat down with them over the weekend and had a little chat that they shared up on the Rams' YouTube page. I'm going to pull some clips, some of the things that I really liked from what they said, some of the conversation pieces to kind of get us through those topics as well. So we're going to hear from them, their own words, what they're excited about here in Los Angeles and kind of getting that game plan ready for the 2020 season. Don't forget you can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Himalaya. Hit the subscribe button, share with a friend, leave a review, five stars if you're feeling cheeky. We appreciate all the feedback from you guys, so hit us up on LA underscore Rambling Bear. That's my personal on Twitter, as well as Lockdown Rams, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, We're going to take some listener questions from you guys this week as we kind of talk throughout this, getting close to the draft. We're also going to have some guests on, and we're going to kind of break down some of the things that the Rams have in front of them as well as start looking ahead, talking about some of those guys that sat out last year that aren't really on the top of our mind right now, but are coming back and maybe have an opportunity to fill into some of these roles that we've talked about. So, great episode for you guys today, but with that, let's just get right into it. Over the weekend, we found out that the NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to push back the franchise and transition tag windows. Looking at it from LA's perspective, does that really change anything? I'm Bear Motter of Lockdown Rams, and this is your lead story. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network tweeted out and said that the tag window, which is usually from February 28th to March 10th, will now be pushed back a couple days to February 27th to March 12th. This has to do with the new CBA that, like I mentioned, is kind of up in flux right now. The owners have passed it, is now on to the players, and if it's not agreed upon by the time that comes around, teams will be able to use both franchise tags and transition tags Instead of the usual one tag per team. As for the Rams, I don't think this is going to change things too much. But there are some teams out there, like the Cowboys, who have been in rumors of what they're going to do with Dak, as well as a few other players on their roster. You're looking at their wide receiver position. Amari Cooper's another one of those guys. But with this news coming out over the weekend, that the CBA hasn't come to an agreement yet. Starting to get some people worried about how the negotiations are actually going Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap tweeted out that he thinks the union will have to indicate a pretty strong yes by the 26th, or else there won't be a new CBA rules this year, which means that whole playoff scenario that we talked about. So there is some time pressure as far as getting this done for the NFL, for the NFLPA. That way they can move forward with some of the stuff that they discussed. But again, some of the stuff that's holding it up is the 17-game schedule. But franchise tagging is going to be pushed back a couple of days. For some team. that means a lot. For other teams, maybe not so much. But for the Rams, any time granted is something that they're going to be taking into full consideration. And something we saw today, ESPN put out an article, 21 teams that could use the franchise tag before free agency begins. As for the Rams, ESPN LA reporter Lindsey 30 stated that outside linebacker Dante Fowler or inside linebacker Corey Littleton might be up for that tag. She said, quote, Fowler and Littleton each play critical roles in the Rams defense last season and both will be unrestricted free agents. The Rams have limited space under the salary cap. So using the franchise tag, which is expected to be more than 15.4 million dollars, might not be within their means, but Fowler, who produced a career-best 11.5 sacks last season and Littleton, the Rams' leading tackler the past two seasons, are tag candidates if the teams decide to use it. In her prediction, she said the Rams will use the franchise tag on Fowler. Now, although I agree with her as the importance of Fowler and Littleton and maybe bringing back both of them, as she even said in her own article, this might not be within their means $15.4 million dollars Uh, The Rams only have about $20 million in cap right now, so that eats up 75% of what they can do. We still have holes at the offensive line. We still have questions about the defensive front. If we tag one of these guys, that means the other one's walk-in. Then we have some issues at the linebacking core. I just don't see it getting done. Of course, I do see this as a pick or choose. You have to figure out, do you want Dante Fowler or do you want Corey Littleton? I love what Fowler did off the edge, and we'll hear later from defensive coordinator Brandon Staley and the importance in his system, his 3-4 system, of having that presence on the outside. But what we have up front with Aaron Donald, I think we've seen with Clay Matthews coming in. And I'm not going to say just throw any guy in there out on the edge, but I think that we can find some talent that can replace what Dante did at a cheaper price. So I think it is Corey Littleton that we have to go forward with. I don't think he tag him. The only way I see a Rams using the tag here is potentially tagging Dante Fowler for the purposes, tag, sign, and trade deal, trying to move him and get another team to come in on that tag price for a one-year deal. Again, kind of putting Dante Fowler in that one-year prove-it deal. That's what the Rams did last year. Basically, it wasn't a franchise tag, but that's almost the way the money kind of squared up on that deal. Said prove it, he proved it, and here we are back in this situation. So I think it's Dante Fowler, if anything, for the franchise tag, looking to then move him and then going and trying to get Corey Littleton potentially on a four-, five-year deal, looking to give him some money up front and then spread that money a little bit more on the backside of that contract so it doesn't take too big of a hit. That leaves us some space to work with Corey Littleton to look at another cheaper edge option, maybe throwing a guy another one-, two-year deal, something around the 4 $6, 8000000 million range, depending on what type of caliber you're looking to get. Dominican Sue's out there. We also talked about needing some help up at the D-line. He had a year here uh, that we went to the Super Bowl. He left afterwards, went to Tampa Bay on a one-year deal. I don't know if he's still in this world of where he needs to collect $10 million a year or so, but if he's looking to take a cheaper deal and try to make a run at it again, would be fun to kind of go find a guy like that. So with that, we're off and running on our Tuesday episode of Locked On Rams. We're going to jump over, we're going to talk defense, we're going to talk offense over the next two segments as we listen into to our new coordinators as they sat down with J.B. Long over the weekend and talked about their visions for this team, their excitement of being involved in this organization, and other things they have planned in 2020.
1: The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a post-mortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis Lever jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trailblazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team
0: every day. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked On Fantasy Football with your Locked On Fantasy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fantasy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry, you can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider.
2: So as we left the first segment, we were talking about the franchise tag. We were looking at Dante Fowler. We were looking at Corey Littleton. Another person that popped into my head that might be open for that franchise tag and I know we were talking defense, and our minds were thinking big money, and usually when you do the franchise tag, you're talking big money, especially at some of those major positions. But one position that you might want to keep in mind as well that I didn't get to mention in that last segment is the kicker position. Remember, Greg Zerline is a free agent, we'll have to address that. If we're looking to sign him for a few years, you're going to have to cough up some dollars. Even just looking at uh, a recent kicker signing, Mason Crosby signed a three-year $12 million contract with the Green Bay Packers, he'll get $6 million in year one, $9.5 million over the next two. That makes him the third highest paid kicker in the NFL. He's going to be 36 in September. Looking at Greg Zerline, you think that he would kind of be in that same realm as far as money. So if you're looking at getting him in or around that price tag of that $12.9 million. But at the same time, if you're not sure about how he performed last year, a down year, probably his worst year since his rookie year, and and some of that with kicking is just kind of, I don't want to say luck, but, you know, a kick goes a little bit this way, a little bit that way. He didn't perform as well as he performed over the last couple of years. Let's just put it that. So maybe especially as you're looking at a new special teams coordinator coming in, do you want to then go and give up a bunch of money that you maybe not have? And when I'm talking a bunch of money, you heard the numbers that Mason Crosby got. You're still talking money, though. Or do you want to maybe give him a one-year deal and see if if there is, you know, that uptick back? You also know that the Rams, as financially over the next couple years, some money's going to free up, so they may have some more wiggle room. To give him some money down the road. So if you are looking at a franchise tag, I think right about now it's at 4.5 to 5 million dollars. It's still a big chunk, but it kind of gets your kicker locked up one year. You can reevaluate the situation another year. So if anybody gets a franchise tag, I think it might be Greg Zerline. We'll see how that shakes out and what the Rams really want to do. Uh, they have done the franchise tag in the past. We saw them tag Tremaine Johnson. Year after year, really give him some big bucks. And then finally, finally, we let him walk. Thank God he went over to the New York Jets. He made a bunch of money, played a few games, a one of the bigger bus contracts of that year. So uh, the Rams maybe have learned their lesson with the franchise tag or just go a different direction and find the cheapest tag you can do. That fits in with you don't want to let Greg just walk so maybe you get them for four and a half, five million million, on a franchise and you move along. So wanted to get that out because as I was crossing over the segments, I said, man, what about our kicker? Got to give our kicker some love, the special team some love, uh, and especially when you look at the tags. No one else is really just worth the price that there really is. So with that, as promised, I want to talk a little bit about our defense. As I mentioned, J.B. Long sat down with both coordinators, had a conversation with these guys, and some good stuff came out. And I want you to hear it from their mouths directly. And first, it starts with the connection, the head coach connection with the D coordinator. And here is Brandon Staley talking about how it kind of came together and the small circle that's in the NFL. Uh,
3: you know, the NFL is a, is a tight circle. You know, it's a special fraternity. And uh, I didn't know it, but um, he had reached out to a lot of people that, Um, I had coached with or, um, you know, whether it was college or pro along the way. And um, I think he did his research on me, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, but, um, you know, talked to a lot of people that I had worked with. And, um, you know, after the season, you know, he reached out and we kind of know a lot of the same people, although we had never met in person. And um, so it, it felt really comfortable, really natural.
2: Again, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, who is Brandon Staley? Where does he come from? Why is he getting this opportunity? He's only been a coordinator for three years in the NFL. But that right there shows you that Sean McVay did his homework. They know a lot of the same people. He's admired him from a distance, especially under Vic Fangio and what he's seen from that defense. And when you get kind of the good words from some of those people – it makes it interesting. And they talk later in this, this interview kind of about Sean McVay getting that opportunity maybe before he was quote-unquote ready and coming in and having these high expectations for a guy that nobody really knew and that there are guys like that out in the NFL waiting for their opportunity. Brandon is one that is now getting his as a defense coordinator here in Los Angeles. But I found that interesting, you know, knowing their circles together, not knowing that you were basically be re- being recruited by Sean McVay as it was happening, and then the opportunity, the phone call comes comes in. He comes in prepared, reviewing some film for the Los Angeles Rams. Nails the interview, and Sean McVay really had him uh, tagged for the job from the beginning to the end. So awesome excitement! You can tell they already are clicking right there, which is a good thing. Something you want on the staff. And another thing that's been a big question is, you know, what's going on with the three-four defense? Is this something, even though it's in his past, are they going to keep it here? Or are they going to kind of retool the whole defense? under Staley as well as what does that edge pressure mean and we'll listen to hear both those questions from Staley and JB Long because we talked about it earlier in that franchise tag and what are we doing with Dante Fowler here's a little insight to what he is thinking in that 3-4 and how important that outside pressure is fair to say the Rams are staying 3-4
3: yeah, Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that's why it was such a good fit. I think Sean was very specific in what he was looking for. Um, he didn't want to make wholesale changes because this was a, a very mm-hmm. good defense. So, um, you know, I think that stylistically it'll, it'll be similar to what, um, you know, has been here before. You've worked with some incredible edge rushers in recent years, be it Khalil Mack, Von Miller, uh, Bradley Chubb recently.
4: I wonder, do you need a proven edge presence to win with the Rams on
2: defense?
3: I think any defense needs that. You know, I think that anytime you have players um, on your defense that can rush the passer um, and play dominantly against the run game, uh, it gives your defense an edge. You know, and so the NFL in every level of football, it's a line of scrimmage game, and the better you are at the point of attack, it doesn't matter what side of the ball, the better chance you're going to have to be uh, to, to be successful. So I think that you know I've been fortunate to have those guys that are in the top one percent. Um, mm-hmm you know, at their position. But I think that for any defense to function, you've got to be good at the point of attack.
2: So the Rams, as we know, staying in that 3-4. And as he described, Sean McVay didn't want wholesale changes on the defense. And we'll have to see how that really works out. Because with the money, there are going to be some changes. Whether that's Fowler on the outside, Corey Littleton up the middle. But this kind of maybe gives you a little insight. If Fowler leaves what the Rams might do with that 50-second overall pick, and that they may address that edge rusher, that outside linebacker earlier in the draft than maybe we project them to. Although there is some need from an offensive line, we hear a lot of people right now talking about how deep this offensive line group is in the draft and what they will do as far as attacking that as well. So uh, insight there, I mean, he's worked with greats like Khalil Mack, and there was a great article breaking down when Cleo Mack came. The number one person that he spent all his time with was Brandon Staley. and Staley talked about the type of work ethic that Cleo Mack had in, uh, you know, tape review, and they were getting up and meeting at five in the morning going into practice, and then coming back, and they'd be together till 10 p.m. at night. So he's got the dedication to sit there. If someone is willing to work with him like that, you could see someone really find a good fit in the system, whether it's a rookie, whether it's a new guy that we get in free agency, or if it just happens to be we get lucky and it's a guy like Dante Fowler. So exciting stuff from the defensive side. As you know, this guy's worked with some of the best. Of course, Von Miller out in Denver as well. And now here he comes in. We've got Clay Matthews still on the roster, still on the outside. we got a guy like Obo Okoronkwo who is coming up and is finally getting healthy, who could come off the edge. So there's a couple guys already here. And then, of course, you know that the Rams are going to make some moves on the roster, whether that's shifting some guys out or looking to go to the free agency market or in that draft. So we'll see as things are going to get exciting over the next couple of months as we kind of fill in this roster for these coordinators. So coming up next, we're going to flip it over to the offense side of the ball. We're going to listen into the conversation JB had with our offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell. Kind of hear some of the things that he's excited about working with Sean McVay coming into the system out here in Los Angeles as well As a little takeaway from the Combine today at the QB1 position, we'll hit that on the other side. We'll be right back. Tuesday edition, Lockdown Rams, your team every day. Left off talking about the defense in the second segment. We are here in the third segment. We are talking offense. And we mentioned in the first segment, as I hit one, two, and three there, that the combine is underway. Players showing up, taking in those measurables. And one of our favorites as far as the quarterback position always ends up being hand size and the number one potential number one overall pick Joe Burrow came in with his measurement of his hands at nine inches and the world went crazy of course because that is small in comparisons to what the average size is which is nine and seven ten inches and looking at the national average of quarterbacks of the last 35 quarterbacks drafted since 2008 the average hand size has been 9 and 7 tenths inches. Even looking at Patrick Mahomes, who just won the Super Bowl, he registered a 9 and 1 fourth inch in 2017. Only three players in the last 10 years have a 9 inch hand and have tempted more than 300 passes. That would be Goff, Tannehill, and Chad Henney. During that span, none of those quarterbacks have a QBR over 50. Five. Not a lot of great stuff from Jared Goff there as far as his hands, but he was a number one overall pick. He got a lot of grief when he came out. Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Uh, I know the insiders always try to make that a big part of what is going on, but these guys obviously made it through the college ranks. Yes, the ball is different when you get to the NFL, uh, but Joe Burrow tweeted out from his Twitter account today and said considering retirement after I was informed the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands. Please keep me in your thoughts. So he obviously is taking this in stride, not really caring. He still will probably go number one overall. It didn't stop Jared Goff from going number one overall. He's had a couple really great seasons. Yes, maybe slipped a little bit last year, but is that all his fault? We'll see in 2020. But I thought that was worth mentioning here as uh, Jared Goff went through this in 2016 with his tiny, tiny little nine-inch hands. And here is the potential number one overall, Joe Burrow, going through the same thing. That is the exciting news that came out of the Draft Combine day one. We're going to break down more of that as we get deeper into uh, some of this stuff as far as people actually working out and doing some of these drills as well as the interviews. Remember, Sean McVay and team are only going to be there for a day or two. And when I say and team... I think it's really just Sean McVay, less need. So we'll see if they're even there by the time the players get up and start doing some things. There's a handful of players that have come out that said they're not going to be working out. We will discuss that throughout the rest of the week. But as we look over to the offense, and we look at our brand new offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, and what he brings to this offense. He sat down with J.B. Long. They had a great conversation. I'm going to play a couple of clips because J.B. was hitting them with some great questions about overall offense what he's going to be doing on game day, working with Goff, working with Todd Gurley. So I recommend you guys go to therams.com or go to their YouTube channel to listen to the full interviews because there was a lot of really good stuff. But I want to start with kind of the hard-hitting question of what your role is going to be, what's your expectation going to be, not only during the week in practice, but on game day Sunday. Here is J.B. Long and offense coordinator Kevin O'Connell talking about that coming into the 2020 season.
4: Early in the process, I'm curious what you think it is or understand that Sean McVay wants from you as an offensive coordinator. And I mean this question in two ways, Monday to Saturday, and then also on game day. Yeah, Monday through Saturday, uh, just the role of a head coach that is a play caller and does uh, run the offense. Um, You really have to have somebody that you trust and you value not only their opinion in the game plan setting, Um, early on in the week, but also within the quarterback room, within within the offensive skill room, the interaction with the offensive line, and and how everything kind of comes together. That's not easy for somebody uh, to do all those things, even though you're the play caller, having worked for Jay Gruden as his offensive coordinator. um, And Sean was actually, originally, before he became the play caller in Washington, he did that role for Jay, so the similarities of knowing, uh, obviously, what that role is like, and then assuming, obviously, the play caller role, into becoming the head coach here uh, he knows exactly the experiences that I've had and maybe where uh, where I can uh, lend a helping hand here and as far as Sunday goes I've learned very quickly in the NFL um, that it's about uh, each and every moment during those games and any competitive edge that you may be able to find as a player or coach um, those the people that can help do those things normally elevate uh, pretty quickly uh, not only with the play caller but um, around the NFL. Those, those things tend to travel uh, pretty quickly. So if you can have a role, you feel prepared, obviously, uh, that the quarterback position and the entire offense, you've done your job to put those guys in the best possible situation. Then it's about Sunday. Then it's about adapting real time and being able to adjust and change on the fly uh, to maximize your chance to win the football game.
2: Great stuff from Kevin O'Connell. Excited to see him work with Sean McVay. Sounds like they already have a great rapport, as he mentioned both those guys coming from the Redskins and Sean McVay knowing very much what Kevin was getting into over the past couple years as he worked with Jay Gruden out in Washington, kind of having similar roles as well as moving up the ladder and taking on more. So uh, he talked about the kind of the Monday through Saturday and really just kind of gaining trust from the team. First of all, being able to help move that offense forward and giving Sean McVay a little leeway to go do some other things. But then on game day, kind of being able to be in that corner and utilize him in multiple ways, whether that's sitting down with Jared Goff and kind of working with him or getting ideas over to coach or helping manage some of those things. So he is going to kind of be stepping up in multiple facets in different ways during practice, and on game day and look for his role to evolve and take on more throughout the season. As they start to trust him a little bit more with his ideas, with his, game planning with his game management and really helping Sean McVay stay on track which kind of for us was a big thing in the past couple of years as they went away from the run game and that's kind of the next thing that I want to get into they talked about that in their conversation as well as you know Sean McVay even admitting that he wanted to get Todd Gurley involved more but still couldn't find ways to do it and how he thinks that he can help address this running game in 2020 here again is J.B. Long, the voice of the Los Angeles Rams, and our new offense coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, discussing the running game.
4: Yeah, I think first things first, you look at it from a scheme standpoint. Uh, and while you're evaluating um, the scheme and, and and what was the intent of plays, what was the intent, uh, the design of, of things that maybe had been done in the past that defense has tried to do some different things to take away, um, as well as maybe what are the the adjustments that can be made moving forward to solidify the the chances of success in that play and then, and then obviously as you're watching uh, and, and you're watching it as a staff and as an organization you're looking at personnel across the board how, how are all eleven working together uh, to, to make sure that uh, as a group the, the run game is a success because it's much more than just the offensive line and the running back. It's the receivers, it's the tight ends, it's the quarterback making sure that the play has the best possible chance to succeed. And he's doing his job uh, to make sure the play uh, goes the way we want it. So there's a complete analysis uh, of the scheme, the personnel, um, of the the counter punches off of those plays Mm -hmm. and how it all works together. I think, uh, you know, I think there's gonna be an element of versatility, you know, calling upon the successes in the 11 personnel uh, with the three wide receivers and one tight end in there to go along with your running back. But um, I think just continuing to present not only the the different looks from a formational standpoint, uh, continue to grow the tempo package and and trying to gain any competitive competitive advantage that you can. And sometimes that is multiple personnel groupings and forcing a defense to have to declare their hand at least schematically of how they want to defend each personnel grouping. And then the things that you can do within those groupings may be different um, to attack the defense uh, via the pass. So I think that it all kind of works together.
2: Lots of good stuff from Kevin O'Connell there. Another guy just like Sean McVeigh, you love here in Talk Football. Uh, You know, he kind of talked a little bit uh, of everything there. One, just trying to get that play, whatever it may be, back on track and utilizing the whole team as understanding everyone's got their role for that running game to get going. Yes, obviously, he didn't go into depths about struggle at O-line and this and that. Uh, and not being able to utilize, you know, everything out of that 11 personnel. But he kind of finished and kind of saying, yes, we are still going to use that 11 personnel because that's the way Harlotta lot of guys kind of situate with the three running backs that we have and then throw in Josh Reynolds as of right now. But also that throwing in different schemes at them and going to that 12 personnel that we saw a lot near the end of the last season is you know, really important to throwing off defenses. So I'm excited to see what he can do as far as helping this ground game get going because it's not that if Sean McVay doesn't like running the ball, it just seems to be a weird way that he got away from it. And he even talked openly about needing a ground game, especially in that play action that they work a lot with Jared Goff, that 11 personnel, all those things come clicking when that running game is going. So they understand that. Hopefully with these two guys getting in the room together to be able to figure out ways to get that ground game going, one, you see a little bit more help help up front, some more consistency in the health of that O-line, but then also sticking with that program and trying to move it forward. And hopefully that is with Todd Gurley. We don't know if that's the case yet. We'll see how that kind of all shakes out, what the running back room is going to look like. But I really like kind of some of the ways that he broke that down and how he's excited to get to work with these guys and that he sees this offense getting back on track in 2020. So we'll have to kind of keep following up with these guys as we hear from them more. But I thought both those interviews were great, so go and check them out on the Rams YouTube page, as well as the Rams.com. Lots of great insight. And just getting to know these guys from a more personal level, the press conference was great, but kind of sitting down and having a back and forth conversation really was good stuff too. So we're going to get more into the combine. We're going to get more into some mock drafts. We're going to talk about where the Rams might go in this upcoming draft, what players are out there. We're going to have some great people on the show talking about all that as we look at all the questions remaining for the Rams, as well as some of these players I mentioned earlier, guys like, Micah Kaiser, Joe Noboom. What are they going to be like when they come back in 2020? Will they have a roster spot? Do we want to lean on guys like that and expectation in them returning or do we need to go out and really find another guy to fill those roles? So we'll see how this all shakes out. We'll talk about all that here on Lockdown Rams coming up. But with that said, you know what it is Rams Nation. Until next time.